So 1 Kings, if you haven't found it already, in my Bible it's about 25% in. So start at the beginning, go about a quarter of the way, and you'll probably be somewhere near 1 Kings. It's actually um, not unusual for me to choose a, a something out of the story of the Kings to teach on when I have one Sunday to teach um, and not a series. And today is uh, no exception to that. Um, Kings in itself is, is just a continuation of the story of the, of the people of Israel, God's people. And First and Second Samuel starts with the prophet Samuel, goes on through uh, God's uh, choice um, as the first king for Israel, which is Saul, although it was not his idea, not, nor was his intention that the people would have an earthly king like all those nations around them, but that's what they wanted. God obliged, and Saul was set up as the first king. Um, who was the second king over Israel? Trivia. What's that? David was not the second king. David actually was the third. Uh, there was a guy named Ishbosheth. How many people remember Ishbosheth from your d- devotional readings? Um, not exactly one that you remember right away, but he did. He was Saul's son, and he did reign for two years. Um, a big portion, the majority of, of the kingdom would belong to him for two years. And David had people of Judah in the south um, for about seven and a half years before the kingdom was united um, with him in all of Israel. So he, in total, reigned about 40 years. Uh, actually, 40 years. He lived to be about 70 years old. In his 69th year is where we pick it up in First Kings. And you might think, well, that's an interesting place to start. The end of David's life. And uh, obviously, if you guys are familiar with David, you know he has many successes written down for us. Successes in the Lord. Successes of faith successes of, of triumph over enemies. Um, we have a, uh, a record of his journal where we read in the Psalms many of his thoughts and his cries to the Lord and things that he feared and things that he wanted God to do. And, and oftentimes what he wanted God to do was rip somebody's throat out. And he, God puts it in his word for us to read that, that the gamut of emotions in David and through his life all of his experiences um, comes to a head I think at the end of his life here in 1 Kings where he's about to uh, take on a situation, a problem that arises within his kingdom, within his own family that affects the kingdom. And then in chapter 2, we won't talk about chapter 2, but chapter 2 he he charges his son Solomon as king um, to follow the Lord, follow his decrees, treasure the law of the Lord as in Psalm 1. I say all that to say that what do you think of when you think of David? What's the, what's the thing you think of? There's probably a couple things that come to mind, but what was the phrase that described David from God himself? That's what it sounded like up here. I know you said it clearly where you were. A man after God's own heart, right? That's, pretty, that's a pretty good moniker for anyone, isn't it? I mean, you can't get much better than that. But what I've uh, found afresh, as the kings are a journey of the scriptures, I love to do periodically because I just relate to the kings so much. But uh, very much similar to most of the kings, David had some serious flaws. He had some serious issues. This guy had uh, a heart for God, undoubtedly so. But when you read, especially 2 Samuel, you find a guy who was hot-tempered. He had his hands full of blood. It wasn't something that you see much hesitation on the part of David to kill someone. Um, We think of killing in David usually with Goliath, right? He slayed the giant, killed him. Yay. And that was a good thing. He was offending the Lord. David said, even as a young guy, Saul, let me at him. 
let me at him. He's offending the Most High God. And Saul said, okay, wear my armor. It didn't fit, of course. He's like, I don't need that. Runs out and slays him with stones. Um, very, very hot-tempered. But we, we tend to put David in that, in that place of, of uh, really honoring him, and rightfully so, for his heart for God. But he killed a lot of people. And more than that, he had a very dysfunctional family. Um, maybe you know, maybe you don't, but David had seven wives that are recorded to us, uh, for us in 2 Samuel, six of whom he had sons with, or sons from, those relationships. Um, one was the daughter of Saul. His first wife was uh, named Michael, or Michal, or however you pronounce that in Hebrew, I'm not sure. But that was his first wife. It was Saul's daughter that was given to David. Um, if you don't believe me that he had a, well, he had a, he had a temper, believe me in this. David said, I'm going to go take out the Philistines. Um, I want your daughter. Saul's like, okay, um, give me 100 Philistines. He comes back with 200. Like, throws foreskins at Saul and says, here's 200 foreskins of the Philistines. Where's my bride? That, I don't usually even think about something like that in my day-to-day life, uh, let alone do it. You know, Philistines, not small guys. Um, but he did. And Michael was not given to him as, uh, as it turned out in marriage. That was his first wife, but it was it actually ended up with a different guy who we're going to talk about in a little while. But after that, he had six more wives, and he had sons, children, from each of those wives. Solomon wasn't even part of that six. Okay, he, his Bathsheba, you know, Solomon's mom, was the next wife to come. Um, actually, yeah, seven. Um, Solomon was the second kid of Bathsheba and David. The first one, what happened to the first one? He died because of David's sin. Uh, God judged it, and the, da- and the baby died. And, and David said, I know that that child can't come back to me, but I'm going to go to that child someday. So he had a definite perspective on God that was true and accurate. He had intimacy with God, which was amazing. And all of us would love to have a relationship like that, especially as we see his life of ups and downs. And so a positive, definitely, if you were to talk to David at this stage, 69th year of reign, and you asked him, David, what, what was the best? Give me some good old day stories. He'd probably start with Goliath, I would think. But maybe before that, when he killed a bear, took out a lion, you know, those types of things. Um, the times where he tried to avoid spears from Saul. Saul wanted to kill him. He played a mean harp. So you'd be mean, Right? Mean guitar, you throw a spear at him, I guess, if they're mean. Um, Saul threw spears at David, and David missed them. You know, he averted them. He might have talked about Bathsheba. Man, that was the low point. I, I choked. I blew it. Bad decision. In every way, there, it wasn't redeemable, but God had mercy on me. Um, perhaps he talked about, and I think in very many ways, Solomon, in his love for women, came from his dad. Really. I mean, we think of Solomon having lots of wives and concubines. David had the same. Um, He fathered many children, as I said. And you know what? I think the biggest regret possibly for David is he's like, I'm putting words in his mouth. But I think it's fair to say that David had much regret in regards to his relationship with his son. I think if you ask David, are you close with any of your sons? I don't know if he could have said resounding yes to any of them, including Solomon. Um, and, 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 I, and we'll talk about one of those sons, and that's where we're at this morning um, as a result. But you know that David's first son, Ammon, 
ended up raping the third son, Absalom's sister, Tamar. And Absalom eventually took revenge and killed his brother. Later, Absalom dies, as you know, um, after trying to usurp David's authority as king and trying to raise up for himself a kingdom. So in other words, you have the third son who's already killed the first son. We don't hear much about the second son as far as birth order. But here's the third son trying to overtake the kingdom of his dad. So we're not talking about a tight family, right? It's like, yo, let's go hang out and fish, Dad. It's like, no, I want your kingdom and I want you dead. I'm going to take all your main guys and really overthrow you. Um, that was the relationship that was like in that household. Can you imagine bringing like a family reunion together in David's household? It's like, hey, we're going to get all the troops together and celebrate and have a barbecue. You know, we're going to have some carne asada and, uh, and hang out have some tacos, you know, and stay out the park. It's like not like that. And uh, here in 1 Kings chapter 1, you may be thinking, well, all that's great, but why did you decide to teach on this? Chapter 1 talks about the fourth king, or the fourth son, rather, of David, Adonijah. And Adonijah obviously did not have a close relationship with his dad at all, and we'll see why. But it's an interesting story, and one that I hope that ministers to us. It's definitely ministered to me. I think there's some real simple yet profound reminders in this scripture, in this portion of scripture, for us in terms of how we go about uh, following the Lord and making decisions that are honoring to Him. What not to do and what to do. So let's read it together, okay? It's kind of a long chapter, but um, it's worth the read. It's definitely intriguing reading at best. 1 Kings chapter 1. It says, Now King David was old. He was advanced in years. Again, he's 69. And they put covers on him, but he couldn't get warm. And therefore his servants, this can be translated physicians, by the way, prescribed to him or said to him, Let a young woman, a virgin, be sought for our Lord the King, and let her stand before the King. Let her care for him. Let her lie in your bosom, that our Lord the King may be warm. So they sought for a lovely young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shunammite and brought her to the king. The young woman was very beautiful. She cared for the king and served him, but the king did not know her, did not have sex with her. Then Adonijah the son, this is the fourth son of David, son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and fifty men to run before him. And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, Why have you done so? This guy was also very good-looking, very handsome. And his mother had borne him after Absalom. Then he conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah. By the way, Joab, this guy, was formerly the head of David's army. But now he's conferring with Joab and with Abiathar the priest. And they followed and helped Adonijah. But Zadok the priest, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shammai, Ray, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. And Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen, and fattened cattle by the stone of Zoeleth, which is by Enrogel. He also invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. But he did not invite Nathan, the prophet, Benaiah, the mighty men, or Solomon, his brother. So there's two guest lists, huh? The one absolutely invites the party, and the people absolutely no way have them come anywhere close to the party. Verse 12, come please, let me now give you advice, or excuse me, um, verse 11. So Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, 
Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king? And David, our Lord, does not know of it? Come, please, let me now give you advice that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go immediately to King David. Say to him, Did you not, my lord, O king, swear to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, your son Solomon shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then has Adonijah become king? Then while you're still talking there with the king, I will also come in after you and confirm your word. So he's like, basically, hey, you go in, you start telling them the situation, I'll come in and I'll confirm it as being true, and so. And then we'll hopefully have the king's favor in this. So verse 15. So Bathsheba went into the chamber of the king. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shunammite was serving the king. And Bathsheba bowed and did homage to the king, and the king said, What is your wish? Then she said to him, My lord, you swore by the Lord your God to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. So now look, Adonijah has become king, and now, my lord, the king, you don't even know about it. He sacrificed oxen, fattened cattle, sheep in abundance. He was invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army. But Solomon, your servant, he isn't invited. And as for you, my king, my lord, the eyes of all Israel are on you. You should tell them who will sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise it will happen when my lord the king rests with his fathers that I and my son Solomon will be counted as offenders. In other words, if this guy comes to power, we're going to be dead. Okay, That's the situation. And just then, while she was still talking with the king, Nathan the prophet also came in. So they told the king, saying, Here is Nathan the prophet. And he, when he came in before the king, he bowed before, down before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, My lord, O king, have you said... Adonijah should reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. For he has gone today, down today, and has sacrificed oxen and fattened cattle and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the king's sons and the commanders of the army, and Abiathar the priest. And look, they're eating and drinking before him. And they say, Long live King Adonijah. But he's not invited me, me your servant, nor Zadok the priest, nor Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, nor your servant Solomon. Has this thing been done by my lord the king and you have not told your servant who would sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? Then king David answered and said, now we get David's response, call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. The king took an oath and said, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress, just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, saying, assuredly Solomon your son shall be king after me and he shall sit on my, on the, my throne in my place so I certainly will do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed her face to the earth, paid homage to the king, and said, Lord, let my lord King David live forever. King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king. And the king also said to them, Take with you the servants of your lord, and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule, and take him down to Gihon. And let there Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel, and blow the horn and say, Long live King Solomon. Then you shall come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, and he shall be king in my place. For I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, answered the king and said, Amen. May the Lord God of my lord the king say so too. As the Lord has been with my lord the king, even so may it be with Solomon, and make his throne greater than the throne of my lord king David. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites and the Perethites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and took him to Gion. 
And then Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. And they blew the horn. And all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him. And the people played flutes and rejoiced with great joy so that the earth seemed to split with their sound. There's great rumbling going on. When was the last time you heard some rumbling like that come from a people that were rejoicing? Maybe we could do that with the gym floor today, huh? As we worship in, the whole neighborhood, whoa, an earthquake. Verse 42, while he was still speaking, there came Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest, and Adonijah said to him, or excuse me, 41, now Adonijah and all the guests who were with him at this party that he was throwing for himself, they heard it, the sound, as they finished eating. And when Joab heard the sound of the horn, he said, why is the city in such a noisy uproar? And while he was still speaking, there came Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest, and Adonijah said to him, come in. For you're a prominent man, and you bring good news. Then Jonathan answered and said, Adonijah, no. Our Lord King David has made Solomon king. The king has sent with him Zadok, Nathan, Benaiah, Cherethites, Perethites. They made him ride on the king's mule. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him at Gihon. And they've gone up from there rejoicing, so the city's in an uproar. That's the noise that you've heard. Also Solomon sits on the throne of the kingdom, and moreover... The king's servants have gone to bless our Lord King David, saying, May God make the name of Solomon better than your name, and may he make his throne greater than your throne. And then the king bowed himself on the bed. Also the king said thus, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has given one to sit on my throne this day while my eyes see it. In other words, all that to be said, he says, We've got to get out of here. We're in trouble. What do they do? All the guests who were with Adonijah were afraid, and arose and split. That's my translation. That each one went his way. Why? We're toast, right? We, we, there's no hope for us. We've uh, tried to get the people to go our way, and that's punishable by death. Now, Adonijah was rightfully afraid of Solomon, so he rose and he went. Where did he go? Well, he took hold of the horns of the altar. And it was told Solomon, saying, Indeed, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon, for look, he's taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me today he won't put his servant to death with the sword. And then Solomon said, if he proves himself a worthy man, not one hair of him shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. Now that's kind of an ironic statement, huh? seems like wickedness has already displayed itself to King Solomon, but he's choosing to have mercy upon him, it would seem. So King Solomon sent them to bring him down from the altar. And he came and fell down before King Solomon. And Solomon said to him, go to your house. So he gives them mercy, right? Ends, ends the story. Now later, Adonijah ends up paying. I'll give you the end of the story. He ends up paying with his life. Um, he's killed. He's struck down. And um, so, a big, kind of a, a big uh, portion of Scripture, a big text, but a, an amazing story. Uh, amazing story of assumption, of uh, coup d'etat, if you will, of the king's response to his adversary um, in giving over the kingdom to his rightful heir, Solomon. Now, in First Chronicles, it's clear that Solomon had given the kingdom, uh, excuse me, David had given the kingdom to Solomon. It was about that time that David was trying to build, get things ready to build the temple. He wanted to build a temple for, the, for God. Remember that? No temple yet, just a tent. He's like, I'm in a palace. God's uh, ark is in a tent. It shouldn't be so. He should have a temple. God said, no, you're not going to build me a temple. Nice, nice idea, but you're not going to do it. Your son Solomon will. And I'm going to give him peace in his kingdom. And he will uh, be basically the precursor to a throne that will last forever. We know that's uh, fulfilled through Christ, right? Son of David. So God has this, this plan that of all the sons of David, 
And remember, there was at least six from the first seven wives of David, Bathsheba he committed adultery with, actually impregnated her. That son died. Solomon came next after he killed Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. You remember that story, I'm sure. So he brings her in as his wife, and the second child from them is Solomon. Amongst all these people, and actually there were more kids after that. So David had a great fondness for women. He had a lot of kids. He wasn't a perfect guy at all. But in these children, all these children to choose from, some of whom were older than Solomon, okay, it's important that you recognize that, um, of all of them, God says, Solomon is my choice. He's going to be the next king. Now, let's compare God's word that had for sure been known throughout the kingdom as we see Bathsheba and Nathan come in. Didn't you say? Didn't you say? Didn't you say? In other words, I hope you're not too senile yet, David, to understand that you said this, right? Solomon would be king. Bathsheba, in this case, knows that if Solomon isn't king, and his older brother, Adonijah, stepbrother, I should say, comes to power, they're toast, they're dead. Because Adonijah is just like the rest of the family, out for his own benefit, out for his own power. He's a greedy guy and will kill the stepbrothers if he has to, which most likely happens and wants to do that. Um, He'll go at anything to get that position. So let's look, let's break down the story, and I think there's some simple application for us as, as Christians today, for all of us, even if you're not a believer here this morning. In looking at Adonijah and the way he goes about this, as well as looking at David, as well as looking at Nathan and and the like, these other characters in this story, which really happens. First one's Adonijah. Look at verse 5. Then Adonijah, after we're told that David is so old that we need this, this young woman, Abishag, to come keep him warm. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself. Uh oh. Right away, we have a warning. Red light going off. Adonijah exalted himself. Is that ever a good move? Is that a popular move even today in this culture? Yeah, absolutely. You want to exalt yourself higher than everyone else, right? Whether it's a job, promotion especially, those kind of situations. not saying you can't advocate for yourself. But as far as exalting yourself or lifting yourself up, What naturally follows is your agenda or your plan that you've chosen for yourself. And who wants to treat you better than anyone else? You do. You want to treat yourself the best, right? So what does he say? It says he exalted himself and he said, I will be king. I will fill in the blank anything after that. We're already in trouble, aren't we? Pride has filled his heart. And he's chosen at this point to say, you know what? I see the open window. It's there for me. And that's what I want. So let's do it. Let's get all the people assembled. All I need is a couple people that I can bring on my side. I'm going to start with like Joab, a guy who fought valiantly for David at times. Another guy, actually David didn't like him too much because he killed his son, but that's another story. Lots of bloodshed involved in Second Samuel. But basically the point is this. Adonijah lifts up his heart, has a goal. Where, you know, his goal is this. I will be king. And I'm totally confident that when he says that, he knows full well that that's going against the will of God. That has already been shared throughout the kingdom that Solomon would be king, right? Now, why would Adonijah take such a bold step? Well, I have a couple of reasons. First is, the three older brothers, Ammon was first um, from a different mom, and then Chiliab was from the second mom, second uh, born son to David, and then Absalom 
You guys remember Absalom? He's the one that tried to overthrow and actually in many ways succeeded over his father's kingdom and became king. Had a great following. He was the thirdborn. All those guys are dead. Adonijah is the fourthborn from a fourth different woman. And he's like, great, look at the whole, it's all green lights. He could have even said, I don't know if he said this or thought this, but I'm sure he could have said, wow, look at God's cleared the way. I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be the next king. Why? Because your oldest son is the heir, right? If your oldest son is the heir, he's going to reign in the king's place after the king dies. The problem is David isn't even dead yet. But he sees an opportunity. He's like, hey, the window's open this much. Man, if I just give a little effort, it's going to open up wide and I'm going to go right through this and I'm going to have power and control. And not only that, but it would appear that God wants me to be Okay, if you wanted to do the spiritual explanation or the confirmation of why everybody should you know, come alongside him asking, it was, obviously, look at the environment. Look at the landscape. Obviously, God wants me to do such and such because he's, my first older three brothers are no longer here. So naturally, I'm the one who should be king. Now, why does that resonate with me? Why should that resonate with you? is because that's what we all want. If you, if you break down your heart, what do you want? You want the best for your life. You want, most of us would say, if I see green lights, I'm not necessarily going to be spending a lot of time on my knees. If I can somehow paint the picture as, well, look, obviously God wants X, Y, and Z because look at the landscape. This opportunity is open before me, so therefore I'm going to proceed because it's got to be God's will. It's an easy thing to do, I'm saying. It's not that we do that every time, but it's really easy to do. You guys ever had a situation like that? Well, naturally I'm supposed to move here, or naturally I'm supposed to do this, or date this person, or whatever, and we all the while know, I think God probably has a plan different than that. There's a Solomon, in other words, waiting in the wings, who's waiting for God's timing, waiting for, you know, David hasn't died yet, in other words. Solomon's not ready to be king. It's only because Adonijah raised himself up that he has to do all this work and get ready to be declared king, but he didn't have to. But we want to say, I want to I get, get a situation where I hear what I want to hear. Isn't that human nature? You guys like that at times? Get this, Adonijah doesn't stop there. He's like, let's throw a party and make sure that everybody else is convinced that I should be king. But I know there's some of those people that I want to not invite. Who does he not invite? Nathan the prophet. Heard over here. Who is Nathan the prophet? What's he known for? Who did he go confront face to face and say, you're in sin? King David himself. This isn't a guy that's kind of like weak and timid and, man, if you want my opinion, you know, just ask me. I'll be over here in the corner. He was like, David... Let me tell you a story, right? He knew God had spoken to him. You need to go rebuke the king right now. Nathan marches into the chambers and that's exactly what he does. Do you guys have people like that in your life that can actually have the freedom to open the door into the council chamber of your heart and say, I don't, this is not of God. Or you need to be in repentance against this. Or you need to, you need, this is not God's will. This is not a godly decision. This is not, I'm not giving my, okay, stamp of approval. Notice Adonijah does not want guys like Nathan around when he's trying to make a decision based on what he wants. That's us, isn't it? 
That's me. I know for sure. I don't want to hear God. The people that I know will tell me what's true. It's not God's will for this to happen when I really, really want something. Real quick example. Bring this through to my life. And I'm sure my wife, she's here. She can attest to this. It's not a big deal, but it's something that's affected our marriage in the last couple of weeks. As I'm studying this, and as we've actually covered this in our small group a little bit before, um, my wife had to basically come and say, you've left your main earthly advisor out of the picture in terms of our financial decisions. I have felt out of the loop. You've made purchases and made decisions outside of informing or even letting me know what your plans are ahead of time. You just kind of spring it on me. This is what we're going to do now, or this is what we're going to do this, and such and such. And she's all, I need to know. You know, I need to know. I need to be part of the process. And, and after a few days, when I was actually able to be humbled before the Lord, <laughs> so a few days, it's probably more like, you know, five minutes, knowing me. I was, I'm really repentant on the spot, so I can... I can uh, <laughs> she's here, you can ask her. I'm really good at that, huh, honey? It's awesome. Um, you know, and, and the whole time, like, God's speaking to me, God's speaking to me, I need to heed that. But what's, my, what's, what's the battle that goes on in me? She's right, and I know it, and I don't want to pray, and I don't want to ask her again for more input, because I know that she's going to tell me the truth, which is, I haven't been a good husband in that area lately. That your, your husbands who do not heed your wives are making it, it's like cutting off your legs and trying to run a marathon. You have to heed your wife's input. You have to ask for your wife's input. Uh, there's a, there's, a, diff, there's a, a, a makeup who I think David kind of fits the profile of, a, of an entrepreneurial, especially the spirit of Adonijah is reflected in that, where he's like, I see it, it's there, God's opened the doors, my brothers are dead, I'm going to go through this, this is God's will, boom, who's on board? If you don't understand now why it's God's will, I'll spend some time, enough time to convince you why this is the right decision. And these guys will just go for it and go for it and go for it and ignore their wives, right? Oftentimes, honey, I don't, we haven't even, you know, it's like before they're even done with the sentence, the explanation is coming why they should do it. Or it's, well, that's too bad. This is what we're doing as a family. And, and when I say, guys, you husbands or, or men that are not yet husbands but need to heed some advice, this will bless your relationship as you heed your wife and you don't go forward if she doesn't have a piece about a major decision. And at least inform her and invite her into prayer. And that's all my wife wanted. She said, just invite me to pray with you about these things. And more, more you know, when you, got, when you give God the opportunity to speak in those situations, instead of just going and hitting the floor running, um, He will move and He will give a collective peace and He will give confirmation and confidence. One other thing on that is in the office we see this a lot, and especially, guys, especially in terms of relationships. When it comes to, to, to who you're going to marry and dating and, and, the, and the like, that is, I understand that is a weakness for most of us. We all want to be loved. We all want to be cherished by another. And sometimes everybody in our life is saying, that person is not right. They are not. You guys are not edifying each other towards the Lord. It's not taking you closer to God. You need to get out of it. And what do we do? It's like, all right, keep talking. I'm listening. You know, good, go ahead. Give me it all. You know, keep talking. We don't want to hear it because those things are so important to us and so dear and we're so weak to say, Lord, okay, I'll lay it in front of you. It may not be your will, but I want to know what you think. I want to know what your will is. And that is a scary thing to do, isn't it, when we want something real bad. 
especially if it comes to our heart like a relationship. And I think, I think that is one of the hardest things. And, and I've had situations, you guys, I don't, I don't mean to point anybody out specifically by this example, but it's one that's in my heart anyways from experience is people come in the office and I think they want to have a little bit of Nathan the prophet, but not really. It's like, if I can just make an appointment with Brian or James and talk to him and tell him the situation and tell him why I'm right in it and why I should go forth, I think that'll make me feel a lot better. Because I'm still, you know, they'll never say that, but it's kind of the impression I get because there have been many times where I've actually said, this is not sounding right. If anything, my counsel would be lay it down before God and take, take the foot off the gas pedal, slow down. You know, sometimes it's been relationships, sometimes it's just a major decision of we're going to move to Texas, you know, and, and making up that scenario. But that's basically what it comes down to. There's a lot of scenarios people throw out. And I think I already can sense. I don't think they really want my input on this. And I'm not God's gift of wisdom by any means. Neither is Brian. We respect the fact that God has to lead a person. But we're, if, if anything, it's wise to go to the counselors in your life. And many times, yes, Christian leaders are good people to go to because of the breadth of experience, the situations that we see time and time again that actually say, hey, I've seen this before. You may want to just take your... My advice is throw out the wedding date. Right now. Let it go. Throw it out and just trust the Lord that He's going to do a deeper work over the long haul as you do that that may include you guys being back together. I've said that to not just one couple as an example. Again, I don't mean to single anybody out, but my point is those conversations usually go like this. Mmm, great. Yeah, that's right on. Yeah, that's important. Thank you. All right, what do you think? Well, I'm still going to do it, but I really appreciate the time. You know, it's, I know you're busy. I, I kid you not. But you know what? When God checks me, it's when I want to get frustrated at that because He gets my finger and He points it right back at my heart because you do exactly the same thing. When am I most eager to share with my wife something? What's going to benefit me? When I'm convinced that that's God's will, I want to share with her. All, you know, hey, and, and look at this other feature of this great thing that God's doing. You know, it's when I'm, I already know what her answer is going to be. Honey, that's not, that's not it. You're, you know, you're missing something. That's not going to honor God. And I'm like, well, Lord, you know, just need to know yet. Maybe I'll spring it on to her last minute. And then she won't be able to have a chance to really say anything about it. Now, everybody's laughing, but you know you're the same way, aren't you? Don't, you know, avoid it until last minute. Then people can't respond to it. So you, you, all of us are in this together. We all want to be like Adonijah. We all want the best for our lives. Some of it looks really godly, God-appointed, God-ordained. But what was the main thing? What was the number one thing that Adonijah did not do? He did not ask God what is your will? He says, I will be king. Wrong, wrong dock to pull out the boat from. I say, God, what is your will? Even when it looks like God's already paved the way. Okay? And even when it's a godly endeavor. Sometimes God gives you a no. Like David, David says, God, I want to build you a temple which was a godly desire, but God didn't want it to be done that way. And if David wouldn't have stayed current, he would have disobeyed by continuing that godly plan. 
And those are the most difficult things, aren't they? God, this has got to be you because this is a godly desire. Well, he may not will it. Another real powerful example for me in this is uh, Abraham. He obeys God. The guy's a stud in this, that he, that he obeyed God to the point where he was able to take Isaac, his son, his only son, whom he loved, up to Mount Moriah and, and actually get to the point where he's going to slay him because God had told him, he was convinced that God had told him that, that Isaac would be sacrificed. But we know from the New Testament he thought he would be raised again, that that wasn't the end of it. End of it. He was willing to go through it. But what happened? You have to stay current. Even if the first step is yet, yes, the next step could be no, don't slay your son. Right? So it's not just you pray once. God agreed in light from God. He confirmed it. I talked to counsel. They said yes and amen. And then we're going. We're doing it. And that's all there is to it. And then you never have to ask God again. What does God want? You to leave Him in the dust? He wants to be leading the way. With you following. God, what now? You know, what's the latest? What do you have for me? Is there something different? And sometimes you end up in a hospital in El Salvador as a high schooler. You know. Um, you're just like, how did I get here? Um, one little side note as far as um, hearing the will, the will of God. That's really what this is. It's just being strong enough in the Lord to ask the Lord, what is your will? Because it might not be what you want to hear. Um, to kind of take some of the pressure out of hearing God. I'll give you this silly example. For me, it's helped me over my Christian life. I hope it helps you. I haven't found it by a disclaimer, word of disclaimer. I haven't found this in the Scripture. But for me, this is how I approach my life. If I'm going to take a step, let's say you've, you've, you've sought the Word of God, uh, you know, you sought counselors, and in the presence of many counselors, much wisdom. You've done that. Everything seems to be opening up by God, and you're like, okay, I'm ready to take a step but there's still two or three good choices to choose from. They're godly choices. They're godly endeavors. There's no real um, attachment either way of good or bad necessarily. It's just a difficult decision. Do I decide this, this, or this? Okay. This is what's helped me over the years. Is It's taken all the pressure off to realize, you guys know what a lazy Susan is, right? Well, I should say, you gals know what a lazy Susan is, right? Some of you guys know what it is. It's a thing that gets me what I want to eat. That's what it is. Um, something's on that side of the table. They had a great invention. Put rollers on a little circle, and you just kind of push your thing, and it comes around. And you grab it when it comes to you. You know, it's a lazy season, right? So that's my my helpful spiritual help for you. Is I picture me standing on a uh, big lazy Susan. Okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> You're preaching next week. I'm gonna laugh at you too. Okay. So there's a, there's, a, there's a big lazy Susan, I'm on it, and um, in those times where I'm like, God, what is your will? I don't know what it is. Should we move to Brazil? Should we not? Should we do, you know, all those kind of things. Where it's godly, godly things, and you just don't know what the answer is. I picture myself, God, you got me on a lazy Susan, for goodness sake. You, you can spin me any direction you want at any time. In other words, the pressure isn't on all of us to hear God perfectly, the pressure's on Him to communicate in a way where actually we can follow Him, right? Because we're not good. We're not good. We have to clear out our spiritual ears, so to speak. He's not dependent on you like, wow, what if they step in the wrong direction and my whole plan's off? You know, biting his fingernails, you know, at the right hand of God. Like, Father, I don't know if we, you know, you really want to trust this guy with this decision. So I'm picturing him like, I'm going to take a step this way, right? And all of a sudden he flips that thing and all of a sudden I'm walking this way. It's like, oh, I meant to do that, you know. Like, I'm right here. This is the center of God's will. How did I do that? It's amazing. Doesn't that take some of the pressure off? It's like, remember, God's in control, not you. You just got to make sure you do what you're supposed to do, which is to heed what He says. Come and ask Him, Father, what is your will? 
Not assume, because it could kill you in the end, like Adonijah said. Maybe not. Maybe it'll just be less than that, but hopefully. Because um, there are times. But more than that, if that wasn't enough, okay, underneath me and my lazy Susan is the world. And guess what the world is on? A world-sized lazy Susan. And he can spin that thing however he wants to. Got, who's in control? Even if we step off the wrong place in a decision to honor God, who's going to make it come together for the good for those who love God and call according to His purpose, but God Himself. And if He needs to spin me, He can do that. If He needs to spin the world, He can do that. And He will do that. Right? As you follow Him faithfully, which means what? You have to ask Him, God, what's Your will in this? Even when it seems like everything's a go, even when everything looks like it's a godly pursuit, but especially when it's not. And you know you need the counsel of godly people that God's put in your life to speak into your life truthfully. Don't shun those people. Welcome them in. Give them, in this case, David was on his deathbed. He's like, Nathan, you can come in anytime you want. Give it to me straight. Why? Because David knew that he had blind spots. He has weaknesses, right? He couldn't see his own kingdom. Remember that? Bathsheba and Nathan both say, and you don't even know about it. That's why God's brought us here. So we could see your blind spots and work together for godliness and righteousness. You need those people in your life. I need those people in my life. And then, the most scariest thing is actually waiting for God's answer on things. Because it may actually be what you don't want to hear. And it can be very anxiety-producing, can it, to say, here, my Lord, send me, when you don't know where he might send you. Right? It can be a very anxious thing to say, God, my life is yours. Do with it what you want. Because a lot of time that means sacrifice or going somewhere I didn't want to go or it just didn't fit in my you know, day planner. I didn't see, you know, I haven't had that. It's just, it's a scary thing sometimes. I'll leave you with this. I told you it was going to be very simple this morning. Very simple application. I'll leave you this. That um, when you do that, you have to remind yourself that God has risen from the grave after paying the ultimate price for your soul. And any time you say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done, like the Savior, you're in good place. You're in solid footing. You're in, you're in the place of blessing as God would ordain it. And He has nothing but good for His children whom He loves, who He purchased with His own blood. And if God's willing to give His own Son in, in your stead for your sin at your worst, when you're actually making a godly declaration like, Lord, here I'm asking me, you know He's going to be faithful to be faithful to you. And you don't have to worry. That's something I struggle with at times. God, what if I say yes? Or just make myself in a place, put myself in a place where I actually hear from you and I don't get the answer I want. That's a possibility. But it comes with the hand of a Father who loves. And it comes with a Father that, that, you know, that, that knows our fears and knows our anxieties and knows that we're stubborn. Right? One last thing. There's an interesting little piece of Scripture where he says in verse 6, take a look at that, and his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, why have you done so? That's interesting to me as a dad that you would get to a place where you never told your son, that's not right, son. Never discipline. Never give correction. Um, the Bible is pretty clear that that is not a good thing for you parents. You know what I mean? Um, 
there's a right way to correct, but if you decide, in many ways, as the, as, as the popular consensus of the day is, which is just let them make their own choices and don't rebuke, don't correct, um, I think it, biblically grounded, you have safe footing to say that's just asking for trouble. That the kids, by definition, have parents because God wants godly offspring, and, and you do that through training them in love. But remember, not to train without a relationship. Okay? As parents, don't train without a relationship. David could have, could have said, so-and-so, that's not right, that's not right. And he, I'm sure Adonijah, as, many, as well as many of his sons, would have just come back right and wait. What right do you have, Dad, to speak in my life? Where have you been? My, my mom's a list, on a list of other moms. You know, you have to walk righteously to earn the favor of your kids to be able to have a voice in their lives, but don't neglect your parental right and, and role of correcting your kids when they need it. And Lord willing, um, they will commit to the Lord as you do. There's some scriptures I'm going to read with that, but that's just a word, a free bonus gift, if you will, for all parents. Don't spoil your kids to the point where they give you grief. So I would just say, you know, if, if you need prayer today, there, there, there could be a decision you're, you're trying to make right now. Um, we have, as we worship, that area over there, that's what that's reserved for, for prayer, for people that need just some, you know, if you want some counsel or some input, um, obviously just prayer. Would you, would you submit this with God, you know, to God with me? Um, that's what that's there for as we worship. So we'll have the worship team come up now. And, um, is that cool? We'll worship God now and just ask Him for continued strength to follow what He wants us to do. So, real quick, um, as they're coming up, real quick test, see if you guys are paying attention. All you parents that were trying to incorporate into the children's ministry in some form or fashion, we'll at least pray about it now, right? Oh, come on, you weren't listening. Of course you will. And you'll have to ask God, give me the right answer. And not just assume. So that's my little, little plug for the children's ministry. So let's pray and we'll worship. Father God, we just thank you that you are alive. That we serve a living God. And that you want to lead your children in ways of righteousness. and Ways that will bless your heart and glorify you in the greatest way possible. And Lord, left to our own devices, we are just like Adonijah here. We're just like David, who doesn't have much of a, of a saying into his son's life. Very much regretting at the end of his life, God, all the decisions he's made, but yet still celebrating the successes uh, of faith and his relationship with you. And, and I pray, God, that as we would uh, be able to relate to all these men in some way or another, God, whether it be the failures in our lives that we need mercy for, uh, whether it's just not listening to you and just falling on our, on our face, as a result, or if it's just that we're in the middle of something that needs your, your input in, God, we just want to lay it all down at your feet right now and ask for you to move us in a way um, the, that you would want us to go. And Lord, we know that there's many plans in a man's heart, but you direct our steps. So we're asking, Lord, would you direct our steps? And knowing that we're partially deaf at times, God, I, I just pray that you just overcome that inability to hear you. And Lord, for this world, God, we know that you have a plan. It is to save those who are lost. And I pray that anyone in our midst that is yet to come to Christ as their Father, 
that they would have a place of, of direction that goes beyond their own intellect, their own desires, God. They would have a, a Lord that loved them in such a measure that would, would die on Calvary's cross 2,000 years ago. I pray that you would save them, God, that you would bring them close, that they would know that they are saved and they're yours and that they're able to lay their life in your hands and you are faithful. So, Father, we thank you. And we also thank you for this time to be able to give, Lord, tithes and offerings to you. And we ask that you would just bless um, this, this collection as we, as we do it, Lord, knowing that, um, Lord, visitors uh, being not obliged to give, Lord, may they just hear your word this morning and, and rest in that truth. So, Lord, we give you our praises this morning. We thank you in your precious name.